Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Player Profiler and our podcast network is super resource intensive and we rely on premium subscriptions to the website playerprofiler.com to keep the engine running. Go there, sign up for our player rankings, Dynasty Deluxe, DFS package, or go all in. Those that subscribe are everything to us. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of First Class Fantasy. I'm Theo Greminger. I'm joined, as always, by Billy Muzio. And we have one of my favorite guests. Uh, we have Mike Leone from Establish the Run. The young kids would would describe him as sharp AF. Mike is a very <laughs> sharp guy. Um, you know his content uh, from ETR, which is great. But Mike also is a high-stakes player. You, you find him in the FFPC drafts and a couple FFPC competitors. I've gone head-to-head against uh, Mike. We actually have a big rookie draft coming up uh, pretty soon, Mike, in, uh, in a triflex. And uh, I know you've gone head-to-head with Billy often. So we're, we're happy to we're happier getting a chance to talk to you on the podcast than going up against you in a draft. Uh, but why don't you tell everybody about the great work you're putting out at ETR and also your tremendous podcast at Establish the Edge. Yeah, I appreciate that, Theo. Nice to be on the show here with you and Billy. And uh, like you said, it's always fun to compete against each other in leagues. But yeah, right now over at Establish Your Run, we've got all our ranking sets uh, starting to go live for all the formats that offer best ball. So we've got our FFPC rankings there. I've been grinding through a series on Underdog Fantasy, kind of looking at how to play their best ball mania contest based on last year's data. Sure, the contest structure will change for this year, but it's always really good to have a firm understanding of what worked last year and why. And I think I'm doing some unique analysis there. So I'm proud of that. We'll be talking about it on the Establish the Edge podcast. And also we'll have Anthony Amico on the Establish the Edge podcast around the NFL draft to get you set up for your dynasty rookie drafts. Big fan of Anthony Amico as well. Uh, very sharp guy. Those will be really, really good podcasts. Well, we're not going to dive into too many rookies today, but Billy and I over the last few weeks have tried to talk about the valuation for Bijan Robinson right now where are you comfortable drafting Bijan robinson without knowing his landing spot and where do you think he'll end up when we draft in the high stakes events of late august and early september yeah we've got him at the back end of the first round right now as rb4 which is like pretty close to what his adp is on ffpc i think he's a technically rb5 um eckler is the guy that we have him in front of that the market has in front of him i'm pretty comfortable taking him there these 
bets on these these running backs that come in with profiles like Bijan with the expected draft capital he's going to get. They rarely, you know, disappoint heavily. I think like historically, Clyde edwards helaire was the one that disappointed most heavily, and he was kind of a different case where he wasn't like the best prospect. He just had this amazing landing spot that we ended up overrating a little bit. So I, I think he's a pretty safe bet there. I like the one, two turn. If you're going to be taking a running back at that point in the draft, I could see him depending on landing spot, maybe even move up to the, you know, the middle of the first round um, somewhere where Saquon and JTR, I think he could be in that mix. I don't see him getting past the middle of the second round, almost no matter what it would have, to, you know, assuming like health and everything, I don't think there's a landing spot that's going to happen where he would, he would fall. I know. What do you guys think? I, I love the talent. It's just so hard for me to take him where he's being drafted at currently. I, I understand he's, you know, a generational talent and he's coming in with expected draft capital, high expected draft capital, but I went through all 32 teams and there's not many scenarios in which I can justify looking at a projection and saying he's going to rise in ADP based upon landing spot. There's very, very, very few landing spots in my opinion where his current ADP, where he could technically rise. So I think from a redraft standpoint, we're already drafting him at his absolute ceiling and even in best ball where I think that the landing spot could dictate him sliding. And I think if it is a bad landing spot, he could pass that middle of the two, five, two, six. I don't see him going outside the second round, even in a worst case scenario. But I think that he's, he's at this point, he's, he's priced out for me to really have a high ownership inside of drafts. I think it's to me, it's I'll take a flip side argument on that, Billy. I think that there's a, as this summer kind of moves along, I think it's going to become really apparent how much of a workload he's going to have. And I know that there's, it's difficult for us to kind of uh, foresee, you know, where his landing spot. I personally think it's going to be Atlanta at eight. They're the donkey franchise. They're going to they they would draft a running back inside the top ten, and I think like uh, there's a couple situations where maybe at first there'll be a, a initial correction where he falls to like that middle of the second. But I think as the summer moves along, you have certain uh, certain drafters are just kind of ages when it comes to running back anyway, and they're going to want to push him up. And I think it's become more and more apparent that he is kind of the focal point of whatever offense he he kind of lands in. So uh, I think he's the kind of player that that drafters steam up. And for better or for worse, I think he's going to end up inside like the top 10. I wanted to keep this going, though, and, and talk about another Atlanta Falcon. Last year, both of you guys avoided Kyle Pitts. Um, I made the mistake of of purchasing a, a few Pitt coins, um, you know, in the in the 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 worst times of the year. Um, I had a couple of main events where I where I pushed the chips in and I got some some Kyle Pitts and it backfired. I wanted to see how you guys are approaching the tight end position right now in your drafts. Mike, what player is the very best tight end ADP wise right now? Yeah, I mean, I might go back to Kyle Pitts after, you know, I wasn't as in on him last year. I mean, I wouldn't say I completely avoided him, but w- once his price really skyrocketed, I just thought there was some risk there. But I think at this point, not a ton has changed for him going into last year, other than those risks are more well known. And we've seen them come to fruition in terms of the play calling for Atlanta. But I'm still betting on the talents, another year, third year guy. And, you know, we're talking in FFPC getting him at the three, four turn versus like middle of the second round, right? Or even like the one, two turn at times last year. So just a huge drop 
in price tag. So I like him a lot. There's some other guys that we show like values on later in the draft, like Friar Muth and, and some other guys. But I just, you know, I get a little bit weary of that third tier of tight ends, right? That the guys that look a little bit better than the later tight ends, just historically that profile has shown that the floor is actually not that much different than the later tight ends and the ceiling isn't quite there. So I still really would like to grab an early tight end in my drafts. I'm fine with any of the top four with Kelsey, Andrews, Hawkinson, and Pitts. Uh, I'm a little concerned. I'm not as high on kill as I think the market is. I will, I'll answer before Billy does just so I can hopefully take his answer. Um, I, I'm, I'm with you. I think that those top four tight ends are all, are all very exciting right now and kind of the outcomes they can bring. But for me right now, pre-NFL draft, I think it's Darren Waller having a bounce back season in a Brian Dable offense, um, receiving a high number of targets, and he's just the most pedigreed receiver on the team. I think he could have, end up having a big year, tight end seven-ish. But I think that he could he could get into like top three, uh, you know, overall tight end finish. I think that's in the range of outcomes. Billy, where are you at? I'm out again on on Pitts this year. It's it breaks down to cost and and this offense. You know, we right now he's going on average in the fourth round at FFPC drafts. And in my opinion, it's one of the worst fourth round picks that we can take. We're, we're taking. <laughs> Be optimistic, and, Billy. And I'm going to be very, very like Bijan doesn't like pits. <laughs> Come on, man. Live a little. So I like Bijan. I just don't like the cost. I, I like pits talent. Just don't like the cost. And so when I look at this, I actually debated Dario this last night on man versus machine. And it just breaks down to their expected pass plays. When we take a look at what they did actually in 2022, they only passed the ball 44.7% of the time they ran a rushing play on 55.3%. We know that Arthur Smith likes to pound the ball. Right. We're expecting this year on the expected pass attempts for my projections is, is under 500 pass attempts, 497 to be exact. It's going to be bottom bottom three in the league again. I have concerns about Desmond Ritter. We already know they have an alpha inside of of um, Drake London, um, who commanded nearly a 30 percent target share last year. And then we, we look at what's available for the rest of this pie. I have concerns with Kyle Pitts being giving a return on investment at that cost. And so. I think at cost, when you take a look at other tight ends, you know, like Evan Ingram, Darren Waller, who all within, I'd say, close to that tier, um, they're going 30 picks later. And I would much rather take the upside of someone like Darren Waller, who's going to potentially see 20 to 21% of the target share at a 30-pick discount or 20-pick discount. And I think that I'd much rather lean that way. Well, we're not going to want to draft any Atlanta Falcons when when Arthur Smith gets his hand on Bijan Robinson <laughs> And he leads the NFL in 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 total touches. Um, Mike, I want to follow up with you. Uh, Billy and I a couple of weeks back put out a tight end episode. We highly recommend it. Billy and I went through and we covered each and every draftable tight end. It was a great process, Billy. We got a little weird. Talked only tight ends, <laughs> but one tight end that Billy and I spent a long time on was Travis Kelsey. For our FFPC listeners, Mike, in a tight end premium format, where are you comfortable drafting Travis Kelsey? Yeah, it's a difficult question. Last year in our ranks, which I ignored, we had him like two just based on the math. And I ignored that. That's where we have him again this year. I'm again, probably ignoring it a little bit, but I think I'd take him like fourth overall. I was looking at it. Um, I mean, his ADP right now is 4.1. So I guess that's like right in line. I'd take Jefferson, CMC and Chase, I think over Kelsey. And then I would take him at four. 
just kind of thinking through like how I feel about those guys as individual bets and all the positional scarcity. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just with Kelsey, like how long is he going to hang on age wise? He seemed completely fine last year. We don't know when that cliff's going to come as long as he's, you know, not starting to fall off that age cliff he's going to produce insane numbers because of his talent and because of the offense. There's just like no competition for targets with the best quarterback and one of the past heaviest teams in the entire NFL. So where did you guys settle on him at? Real so quick, I'm- real quick. Oh. I actually agree with Mike on this one. Yes. <laughs> I had, so for me, it's, I, it's Jefferson and then it's Chase is my clear top two. And then I'm starting to consider Kelsey at the one Oh three. I think that the, you know Billy's going to probably eloquently make an argument for for Kelsey as as one or two or two, but for me, I'm an ageist, and I don't want to have that player. You know, when when whenever the it starts falling off, because it's it's very hard to predict, and I don't think it'll happen, and I don't think it'll happen for Kelsey for two more seasons, because I think his game really correlates to to getting a little bit older. He avoids big hits. Um, he he runs a diverse tar- a target tree. Um, but. To me, I, I think Jefferson is the very, very safe, chalky 101. And then Jamar Chase is just that dude. And I want to have as much exposure to him as possible. For me, at the 103, it comes down to it. Like, Kelsey probably makes the most sense in an FFPC format at the 103 right now. Billy, anything to add? Yeah, and this goes back to draft rooms. First, I want to say I agree with everything Mike said. When I ran the numbers last year, he came in with me at number two. This year, he came in at number one, actually. Um, but when you look at a draft room, you know that you can get Kelsey outside of the 101. You can get him at 102, you can get him at 103, 104, even 105. I've seen him go to 106 already this year, whereas Justin Jefferson is not falling outside the one and two spots. So yeah. if you're in a draft room and you have the 101, just from a, a standpoint of diversifying and having a diverse portfolio, you have to take Justin Jefferson when you do have the 101 if you want exposure to him. Where Travis Kelsey, you can kind of, that, that question is is a little bit more ambiguous where you can take him at any given spot at thereafter. So I think depending upon the volume that you're drafting and in a draft room, you can mix him in anywhere from the 102 to later if you'd like. Um, I think that the conversation needs to be had at the 102 because players like CMC and Chase, you can also get at two, three, and four at times. And so I think that depending upon the roster construction that you're building based upon the amount of teams that you're drafting, you need to have that discussion going into the draft if you know you're in the top five. No, for sure. And I want to I want to take a step back. You know, to, we're trying to identify some ADP values, and we're trying to talk about some league winners today. And selecting these sort of players obviously is going to supercharge your fantasy success. But another way of putting yourself in a position to win is simply to avoid the land landmines and pitfalls that always seem to present themselves every year in the first and second round. Mike, who is the worst value in first rounds of fantasy drafts right now? Yeah, it's it's difficult. I mean, I kind of center in at the running back positions because I think that's where you can get in the most trouble early. There's a couple guys in rounds one and two that were lower on than the market. It's, it's difficult. I mean, um, I so, center- sorry if I'm lagging there a little bit. Let me know. No worries. No, you sound okay. fine now. Um, Austin Eckler is someone we're behind market on. It seems like he's probably going to be back with the Chargers and just have to play out the final year of his contract. But if he did get moved somewhere else, there's risk there and that his role is so unique with the Chargers. And he just, his game is predicated on like so much reception volume and, and so many TDs that I could just see that falling off for him as he starts to, you know, hit his upper 20s at the running back position. And then Kenneth Walker for Seattle, who 
I was down on in Dynasty last year. I was up on in redraft, just kind of based on the the differing costs. But now that he's RB six and he's going in the second round, I just he's just the type of running back I'd much rather take a oh, swing at a wide receiver on at that point, where you're betting on a lot of efficiency. You know, I know Gino was awesome last year, but I do think there's possibility he regresses from last year. And the pass catching profile for Walker is still somewhat up in the air. I'm not saying he can't do it, but it's a little bit of a question mark for a guy that's going very early in drafts. We've talked about our concerns with Kenneth Walker in the second round, uh, Billy, as well. Any guys you want to talk about here in the first and second? Yeah, Bijan, we already mentioned. Um, I'll, I'll skip that one right now. But mine was Kenneth Walker. I have him at right now as my running back 11 um, in in redraft rankings. And I just don't I don't like where he's going. And I agree with what Mike said. Efficiency is bound to 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 have some regression here, right? We saw like his breakaway rate was just astronomical, right? We just don't expect that to continue. I I'm looking at you know his snap share. His snap share I think will be relatively similar to what we saw last year, maybe a slight increase, but he's going to have to you know maintain if not increase efficiencies in order to to give you know I always say investors investors to return on their draft capital. Um, I just don't see it happening with Seattle, and I, I agree with Mike. I think that we do see some regression with with um, with uh, Gino as well, and just this offense as a whole. So I, I'm not in on 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 him at ADP. It seems like all of the Seahawks have been steamed up, especially when you compare them from last year. We had JJ Zacharyson on Billy, and he talked about him as a dynasty sell for these very reasons. I think it's just more likely that when you look at where Kenneth Walker is going in that second round, he's more likely to finish closer to Nick Chubb. Um, you can make an argument for Nick Chubb over Kenneth Walker, and you're getting Nick Chubb that much later. And I think that's kind of a little bit more of what he profiles to be. I don't see a scenario where Seattle's just going to come out and set the world on fire um, in terms of putting up a, a ton of fantasy points. I think last year is about where they'll be this year. And I, I see I see a number of issues with taking them there. I, I, I know it's going to be an unpopular kind of opinion to some people, but I'm also not thrilled with taking Jonathan Taylor right now in that first round because I have major concerns about that offense as a whole. And we already saw last year, and I think Taylor, you know, if you told me I could get him seven picks later, I'd be about it. But when you're talking about like where he's going right now in these early FFPC drafts, the opportunity cost of taking Taylor, you know, over a couple of these wide receivers that we really love, it's just something that I can't do. I think Taylor could could go up points per game wise, like five points per game and get closer to like that 17, 18 points per game this year. But I think at the end of the day, I, I would rather take a wide receiver that I think is going to be north of 20 points per game. Just curious what your two guys' thoughts are on Taylor. Maybe start with you, Mike, um, Taylor, and Indianapolis right now. Yeah, honestly, I feel like I don't have a great read on the Colts right now. You know, kind of we'll see what direction they go in the draft and, and with the new coaching staff. And it's it's difficult. We're kind of bullish on JT right now just because we really like his prospect profile, his big playability. I think he showed enough in the receiving game where, you know, kind of like Walker, like that was a little bit of a red flag, but I think he's shown a little bit more there that we feel a little bit better about it. So we're kind of high on JT right now in our ranks over at ETR, but I wouldn't say I feel super confident in it, really. Um, it's something that I'll probably dig in a little bit deeper, kind of tempted to just drop him down a little bit, quite frankly. Billy, tell me I'm wrong. I think you're wrong. 
I, I'm also higher on him. I think it breaks down to just opportunity share, right? He's going to see one of the highest opportunity shares at the position in the league. This offense is going to be funneled through him and Pittman. I think we can call this a pretty, you know, clear funnel between the two. Um, when you take a look, I mean, the offensive line is a slight bit of concern, I, I think. And then, of the course, the quarterback situation is is another. That being said, whenever we see this with teams, they typically favor the run. Um, so as long as he is healthy and on the field, we're probably going to see upwards of 65 70% snap share. We saw 69.5% last year. Um, his route participation last year was 56.4%, which was top seven. If we can see that opportunity remain, which I, I expect, um, I, I think number five and top three is my running back position. So I think that it's it's definitely in line for him to continue his his you know dominancy that we saw in 2021. You know, it's injury set him back last year, and I think that as long as he can get over that injury hurdle um, and you know get fresh start here in 2023, I think that we could look at him as being another you know one of the top backs in the league again. I think it's just going to break down to his health because if his body can uphold this amount of touches and carries, he could be in line for a monster season. I think that the, the argument against my, myself would be, do we see a, an increased use for him as a receiver this year? Because this is the first year you enter into a Jonathan Taylor season without a Naheem Hines behind him. And, you know, a perceived backup like a Deion Jackson, you know, that that's not the kind of player that's going to siphon targets. So I think that's the, the scenario where he kind of crushes his ADP is he's used a little bit more as a receiver than we can anticipate. One offense last year that we absolutely loved for fantasy was the Miami Dolphins. It was as consolidated a target tree as you're ever going to get, and we had very predictable weekly usage from, from Jalen Waddell and Tyreek Hill. This year, both players have steamed up ADP-wise, and deservedly so. I think they earned it. But now you're talking about taking Tyreek Hill in the middle of the first round. You're t- talking about taking Jalen Waddell in the top 15. I'm in on both of those guys, but I'm curious, Mike, do you have any trepidation to Miami mixing in a third receiver, maybe through the draft? Um, Maybe somebody just develops and they become a little less predictable in terms of how consolidated it is. Any, any hesitation on those two? I really don't. You know, I think the way Mike McDaniel wants to run this offense, he's going to figure out a way to get the ball to his playmakers. And he understands the top two guys. I don't think he's someone that's concerned with spreading it around. I think he wants to get the ball to Waddle, he wants to get the ball to Tyreek Hill. I guess the minor concern would more be that, like, if defenses are able to adjust to what Miami's doing to be able to funnel the guys, the, you know, the ball at such a high target per out run rate that they had last year. But ultimately, I'm very comfortable taking these guys where they're going in drafts, even with them both being really, you know, early picks. I mean, you have to take, as you said, Tyreek's wide receiver four, Jalen Waddle's wide receiver 11 at like the two, three turn. I'm fine with both of them. They were lights out when Tua played last year. I just expect more of the same. I agree with Mike. The thing that makes these two so dynamic and what's going to be hard for defenses to even adjust to Mike's point is the speed, right? Both in the four, three range defenses can adjust to, you know, different schemes, but it's very hard to adjust for speed because you, you can't catch them. And it, with, if one's beating you one way, the other one's going to beat you the same way, but it, with the same quickness and the same speed, so I think we're going to see a very similar looking offense. We saw them bring back both dusty running backs, right? We have, it, there's a, a lot less concern. Jacecki's now out of the equation as well. They're more than likely to have a rookie tight end into the equation. They're talking about getting rid of, of what's his name, Wilson, right? And so I, there's, this could even open up even a, a more condensed 
distribution of targets between these two uh, as they mix in rookies into the fold. And so I think that we're in line for another big season from both Waddle and Tyreek. And I'll be the first to say I was wrong on Waddle last year. I didn't think he was going to be able to do it with Tyreek there. You know, I misproportionately projected Edmonds to be that kind of behind the line of scrimmage target and it didn't happen. And so this year, I think it's very clear that it's Tyreek and it's very clear it's going to be Waddle. And I think both of them are going to be able to, you know, produce those round one and round two returns. Yeah. I love both of them. I think that they're, they're tremendously priced. I've had this conversation with Billy about how in these FFPC, especially the best ball formats, pushing Tyreek Hill up to the one Oh three, behind Chase and Jefferson. I, I'm considering doing that, and I've done it a few times. And then Waddle, I think he's got ceiling for growth because we saw him sub-120 targets last year. I think it's very easy to to kind of project him to get up to 130 this year. Um, Tyreek, I think, north of 160, but uh, Waddle, I think, has room for growth. So I'm, I'm in on both of those guys. Want to touch on another wide receiver, I know Billy and I both drafted the hell out of him last year, and Stefan Diggs was one of Billy's guys last year. Uh, Mike, I know you were big time on Diggs last year, and you were a big Buffalo Bills fan. How insulated is he in returning to the exact same role this year in Buffalo? Right now, he's wide receiver five overall. What are your views on him at cost? Yeah, I think he's priced pretty much appropriately. Um I did last year and again this year, honestly, have a slight preference for Devontae Adams over Stefan Diggs, which I think is somewhat contrary to the market. That's a little thing because it's not like I'm bearish on Diggs. It's more that I'm bullish on Adams. I think Diggs' season last year was was basically the combination of his first two seasons. You know, he ran really hot his first year in Buffalo. He ran kind of bad. If you just look at his catch rate, it was 77%. His first year in Buffalo dropped all the way to 63% last year. And then it was right in the middle this past season at 70%. So I think we're just going to get more of the same. I do at some point, like, you know, start to worry. I, I think he's fine entering his age 30 season, but um, you know, without Dable there, the offense at times, I wouldn't say struggle. Struggle is the wrong word. You know, they were like, I think second, the entire NFL in point differential, but um, I just worry a little bit about how committed they are to being super pass happy. And it seemed like teams adjusted to Dorsey the second half of the year. So I have a, like some like tiny concerns there, but ultimately have no issues taking him, you know, where he's going in drafts uh, at the one, two turn. And I think the FFPC market right now is too low, probably on both Diggs and Adams. I think those receivers should be going in round one, um, not in round two. Be a nice, a nice one-two turn, though, Mike, for you. Oh, that yeah. one-two turn is available for you right there. It seems like every year there's a period of time where you can do, you can draft Diggs and and, and Devonte, um, you know, both of them at the same time. Uh, Billy, anything to add on Stefan Diggs? Yeah, I I agree. He's also you know priced accordingly. When you take a look, I think my biggest concern with Diggs is just his overall his overall snap share, right? 78.2% last year. When you look at the elites like Justin Jefferson. Saw so 91.5%. You see Jamar Chase, 93.1%. CD Lamb is even 87.2%. Cooper Cup, 95%. It's hard to outproduce players when they're on the field, you know, 15 to 16% more of the time than you are, um, just from a numbers perspective. Um, I would like to touch base on Devontae Adams just because I'm lower on him than I have been in years of the past. I've always loved Devontae Adams. 
But being a Niner fan, I've seen Jimmy Garoppolo play for the you know the last few years, and I have concerns with how they're going to get the ball to him and how this offense is going to run. Like I, I joked around and said that they're going to hurt his back because they're constantly going to be throwing at his feet. Um, but you know, I, I think that that's it. This is a great discussion because I'd love to get Mike's thoughts on Devontae Adams, how he anticipates this offense to look with Jimmy Garoppolo, and and how this you know distribution of targets are going to break down. I think when you're at a talent level of Devontae Adams, I'm only concerned about quarterback if it's real bad. And as much flack as Jimmy G has taken, I know he hasn't played in like any past happy offenses. Like the efficiency on an attempt basis is pretty good for him. So I think it's a downgrade from Carr, but I don't have it in that significant downgrade bucket where I'm super concerned. Everyone was concerned or, or a lot of people were concerned about Adams last year going from Rogers to Carr. And like at a, you know, then he goes out and puts up 180 targets, sets a career high. He's utilized so amazingly in the red zone, given his skill set that for a receiver, he's pretty predictable guy that you can kind of pencil in for 10 plus touchdowns. And in terms of target share, like they lost Darren Waller. Um, I, and any, I don't even know how much that matters. So I think he's just going to be a guy that's always earning like 30 plus percent of his team's target. So I feel pretty good about Adams until, you know, he kind of starts to prove me wrong. And I was, his game was a little different last year, right? It was a career high in yards per catch by a large number. His catch rate dropped off a little bit. I kind of think those things will level off a little bit where, you know, his catch rate starts to come back up and he racks up some more PPR points, probably isn't quite as efficient, but that's fine for us for fantasy purposes. So it's hard to believe I look at the Raiders and I would have thought that they ran the ball close to 50% of the time. And they actually only ran the ball 40.8% of the time. We have Jacobs who's playing on his franchise tag again. Would you expect them to just run him into the ground here in, in 2023 and see that that rush share increase closer to 50% and that pass go down closer to 50%? I mean, we have the addition of Jacoby Myers, and I know uh, he's not, you know, Darren Waller in terms of, you know, size and 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 what he's gonna be able to do, create mismatches here. But they do have Hunter Renfro who was injured all year last year. They have Jacoby Myers coming back. They could potentially be running Josh Jacobs into the ground. Do you are you not I, concerned with any of that? Do you think we're just going to continue to funnel to Devontae Adams? I think in terms of running back touches, they'll run Josh Jacobs into the ground. But I don't know. I don't think their running back touches are going to be like outsized. I think they'll throw the ball at a similar rate that they did last year. Um, I don't I don't think they're I don't think they're probably going to swing too wildly one way or the other. I could be wrong on that. There's probably more downside risk than upside risk in, in than upside re- reward in the pass rate, but I think it'll be around like 60 to 62% called pass plays. Yeah. And it's not that I'm like exceptionally low on Adams. I still have him as a wide receiver seven. I'm right behind Diggs, right? Just when you mix in the running backs, it gets him at the back end of one to the two turn. Um, I think that's reasonable. I don't think it's egregious by any standpoint, but I do love to see other people's opinions. Cause I, I was lower on him last year and I was wrong. Right. And here I am going into 2023 and I have a similar take, but now I'm even lower than I was last year. And I'm just want to make sure I'm covering the basis. My so. most zoomed out take on Adams would just be, there's not that many guys in today's day and age that are going to earn like 33% target shares. He's like one, oh, of, yeah, no. <laughs> you know, three guys, maybe like not even um, that's going to, going to do that. And I I'll, I'll agree with Mike. I think Adams is appropriately priced. I think that he's more likely to, you know, finish inside the top five than he is to finish outside of the top 10 because he's got the outsized target share. 
And I think that the, you also could, I hate making a bull argument for a Josh McDaniel led team, but you had a lot of inconsistency game to game with that offense. You had a couple of absolute duds. I mean, that Rams game is kind of like a, the one that kind of very much comes to mind. There was a couple of games down the stretch where they really struggled and a couple of games where they, they played very well. So there was, I think you could have a little more consistency in year two. And there's also a self-preservation for all these NFL coaches. It, McDaniels needs to have a decent season and getting Devontae Adams the ball and making him the focal point is their best chance of, of success um, you know, on the field. So I'll take, a, I'll take a bullish approach with Adams. Let's stick with wide receivers here, guys. We often see a perceived wide receiver two return great value versus their higher drafted teammate. It's happened many times over the past few years, and it's helped people win fantasy leagues. Cooper Cup often went right behind Robert Woods in 2021. In the same season, Debo Samuel went behind Brandon Ayuk, and Jamar Chase went behind T. Higgins. That was a massive year for it. Last year was less dramatic, but we still saw some very big hits, such as Garrett Wilson you know, dusting Elijah Moore and Tris Godwin out, outscoring Mike Evans. Let's go around the horn here. Uh, we'll start with Mike. We'll move to Billy. Who would you rather draft at cost right now? A.J. Brown at wide receiver six or Devonta Smith at wide receiver 13? Starting with Mike. I'm going to go Devonta Smith. I think they're kind of 1A, 1B. I know A.J. Brown's got a little bit more of a, an alpha vibe to him, but I think, I mean, you just look at the target shares over the course of the season. I think they're 1A and 1B, so I'll just take the discount in price tag. Billy. I agree. Yeah, it's exactly the same thing. I can get the similar production at, at around later. I'm good with both, but yes, I'll, I'll go Devonta Smith. I think Billy and I have touched touched on what a fantastic value he is when you're when Amon Ross St. Brown, Jalen Waddle are gone. Devonta Smith might be the best pick you can make in the second round. Let's keep this going. We just talked about it. Tyreek Hill, who had 170 targets last year. And his teammate Jalen Waddle, who had 115. Right now, Tyreek Hill's wide receiver three, Jalen Waddle's wide receiver eleven. Mike, I, this one's tough because I th- I like them both so much, but there's just more meat on the bone for Waddle to to outproduce his ADP, and I could I think those targets at the end of the day are going to be a little bit closer than they were last season. Billy, can I can I just trade back and just collect extra picks here in the second and third <laughs> round? <laughs> <laughs> I'm always going to go for the discount, right? But if I know it's that hard, it, yeah. it, it's hard to take when, especially when they're this close, right? Especially when we're looking at snap share, we're looking at target distribution. We're looking at, you know, the overall involvement in the offense. Both these guys are like the one A and one B. I'm going to always go with the one B when I can get the discount. They're both su- such good values. Waddle. I love your take, Mike. And, and if you think that the targets are going to be closer, Waddle might be the league winner this year based on what he did last year with 115, if somehow he gets up to 140, then it's it just wheels up for, for Jalen Waddle this year. Absolutely just crushing. And he's the younger player. Uh, again, I still love Tyreek Hill, though, in that first round. That's a very difficult one. Here's one where I know where Billy's going to be at. Mike Williams, who's going around wide receiver 20, or Keenan Allen, who's going around wide receiver 25. I'm going to go Keenan Allen uh, again, you know, it's discount, but I just think like full PPR format too, especially like FFPC that he, he's probably going to outproduce. There's a little bit of, there's a little bit less, very high end upside for Keenan, but you know, with Cal Moore coming there too, I'm, I'm pretty bullish that the targets are just going to be so good for him. 
Billy. Mike and I are mind melding today. Yeah, it, we did this debate on Man vs. Machine as well. I was on the side of Keenan Allen simply from a target standpoint. He's eclipsed, you know, 150 targets three times since 2017. He's been over 130 every year since, except for last year being injured, where Mike Williams only eclipsed 100 once since 2017. It was 2021. Every other time, he's been 93 or less in his entire career. I, I I love Kellen Moore in this offense this year. I'm high on the Chargers just in general, but I, I think it's going to benefit Keenan Allen and, and his, his for him to command more targets again. And I'm going to go PPR with Keenan Allen. Yeah, and Keenan Allen's a more predictable player week to week, which I, I like. And I think that the, where, the, the, the range he's going in in drafts, I can draft him as my wide receiver three um, or and have put him in the flex. And, and I love doing that with a player like Keenan Allen. Let me come back to this one, though, guys. Can I add a How third about- in there? Palmer, right? Because both, you know, both these players are injury risks. We know that Keenan Allen is possible for soft tissue at any point. I always joke around and say Mike Williams is the only player in the NFL who could land on his head and his ass in the same play, right? And he's always potentially getting hurt. Where Palmer, as the wide receiver three going late in drafts, has an opportunity like he did last year to step into a number one role at any given point in the season, at least a number two role in a pass heavy, in one of the most pass heaviest offenses in the league. Now with Kellen Moore, who's always ran a top five in the NFL with, you know, total plays and scoring. And so I think the sneaky answer here is Palmer. I like that one, uh, Billy. I want to come back to this, though, real quick. We talk in redraft context. How about in a best ball context, Mike? Are you more likely to draft Mike Williams um, when this these two are presented or you'd still lean Keenan Allen? FFPC best ball, I'm still probably leaning Keenan Allen. I don't make huge adjustments in best ball on kind of like this spike week stuff. It's been kind of unpredictable historically that we're, we're able to, you know, do that. I think like in a half PPR format, it makes sense to flip them and go to Mike Williams in best ball, you know, given the big play upside and everything. But I, I still think I'd go Keenan Allen at cost. If you use the fantasy, uh, if you use our, our tool over at player profile down in the efficiency column, we have best ball points added. Ken Allen is number 26 and Mike Williams is 27. <laughs> I don't know if I'm even allowed to ask this one because we're, we really like Amon Ross St. Brown here on First Class Fantasy, but Amon Ross St. Brown going around wide receiver 10 or Jamison Williams and the mystery box at wide receiver 28. Yeah, you're not allowed to ask this question. Let's go to the next one. Mike. So <laughs> I, I'm finally going to take the wide receiver one. I'm going to go Amon Ra over the mystery box here. I'm a little worried Jamison Williams is going to be a lot better in terms of real life impact and fantasy impact as a field stretcher. And, you know, maybe I've unfairly kind of pigeonholed him in that role and he could just have command more volume than I'm expecting and make the big plays. But, you know, that was kind of happening, you know, like with rugs that was happening for a little bit where I was really down on him and we started to see the upside before the off the field stuff occurred. Um, and that, you know, could be Jamison Williams where he does start to command enough volume that it's worth it. But I think Amon Ra is just so safe in, in a full PPR format. He's just shown to be incredibly talented and command those high target shares. I love Amon Ra. I mean, we talked about with, with Billy, uh, you know, for weeks now, he's a guy I'm considering in, in the end of the first round. And I love it when he falls to the second. Billy, I'm sorry I insulted you with this question. I th- I honestly think I'm, I I always get attacked for making these kind of statements, but I think it's hilarious. So I'm going to do another one. I think the question should be phrased. Is it 
Jameson Williams or Marvin Jones now at this late in the draft because Marvin Jones continues to produce. And I guess I have this weird affinity for Marvin Jones. You do. You do. But Billy. he has You're a Marvin Jones guy for years. <laughs> but he's always been sneaky good, right? He's always produced, especially in best ball. And, and so it's a lot harder to, you know, click the start button in a redraft league. But in a best ball league, he's been able to produce. And, and I, it's been ever since he re signed here, I've been adding him the 20th round like clockwork again. Here's one that's a little bit more interesting. Terry McLaurin at wide receiver 27 or Jahan Dotson, who's going around, you know, let's call him wide receiver 39, wide receiver 40, depending on where you're drafting. Mike. Yeah, I think I'm going to go Dotson, kind of hope for the year two breakout here for him. He was better in the second half of the season, the first half of the season. We saw, you know, the touchdowns throughout the course of the year and, you know, with the enemy coming over, kind of just some hope that this offense is a little bit better overall. And yeah, I think I think I'll take him. I mean, I still like McLaurin. I think they're both might be a little bit undervalued right now, but I'll definitely take the discount and, and the reduced opportunity cost in draft. Billy. I, I like them both. I I probably lean McLaurin in this scenario just because the snap share is on the field 90% of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that we'll see Dotson, you know, eclipse closer to the 80 range this year. He was in 75s last year. He was very efficient. You know, he was used a lot in the red zone packages as well. Um, I like Dotson a lot. I think it's one of my most owned players, but I also just really like Terry McLaurin and him commanding target share. So we saw 22.6% target share last year wasn't exceptional, but I do think that they know they need to give him the ball more. We take a look at the game logs and their success that they had in games. It was when they kind of gave force him the ball more down the field and, 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 and made, you know, he made coming out and making plays. So I don't think he's, you know, a player that's going to, you know, get 200 yards in a given game, but I do think that he's can command a little bit more targets this year. I'm, I'm going to go Dotson because I think he's, you know, he's four years younger and we saw a top 20 uh, draft capital. And I love the fact that Dotson played very well to start the year gets injured and a lot of rookies would that would kind of end their season. It would be hard for them to kind of get back. But he actually played some of his best ball down the stretch. Yeah. We were starting him in the fantasy playoffs. Uh, guys, I want to quickly touch on second-year wide receiver. It's been a cheat code for drafters year in, year out. But last year, we had a massive ADP hit in Devonta Smith, but also some duds in Kadarius Tony and Elijah Moore. Mike, what is one second-year wide receiver that you really want to draft a lot of this year? Right now, it's the guy we just talked about. Like Dotson's kind of the top of my list relative to ADP. I think um, the the top three of the class are insane in terms of like expectation when you're looking at Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, and Drake London. But when you start to account for their situations, like I think they're all being drafted kind of correctly. Olave is the one guy I could maybe see where he might be closer to Garrett Wilson than the market has, but it's just. I don't know. It just seems like the market's valuing those guys correctly. The costs are so high. So I think I'll go Dotson. I was tempted to say Traylon Burks, but you mentioned you did something with JJ Zacharyson recently. His prospect guide's great. He's got a year two model that comes out and he actually has Dotson ahead of Burks. And you know that's kind of a good check on my biases because I wanted Burks to happen last year. And I think I kind of need to, to reassess expectations there. And I'll lean into Dotson's more productive rookie season. He also has an interesting Garrett Wilson ranking, not what we would predict on that second year. So go, we highly recommend that guide uh, that JJ put out. Uh, Billy, your thoughts on the second year wideouts. We've talked about this for weeks. There's so many good answers here. 
There is. I'm going to go really deep and go John Mechie. I, I talked about him in an earlier podcast. And we look at this wide receiver core of the Houston Texans, and it it's, leaves a lot to be desired. You know, he was a second round pick just, just a year ago. You know, unfortunate cancer situation. Uh, looking like he's going to be ready for camp this year. He could potentially become the number one in this offense based upon what they have at, at, at the position. Um, I think it's kind of a sneaky play. He's going really, really, really late in drafts. I mean, FFPC ADP right now is pick 192, right? And so the upside that he presents at that at that point in the draft is, is you know, it's, it's, it's definitely a difference maker. I love that answer. I, I love the, the Drake London Christian Watson tier. They're usually drafted close to one another, and I could see both of them just smashing, smashing their ADPs this year. But like Mike makes a great argument for Jahan Dotson based on where he's going. Uh, it's it's I, a class like we to want say, to embrace. Would like to say also that I also have Dotson ranked ahead in my projections ahead of Traylon Burks, also Pickens as well, and it, it 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 just breaks down to expected pass plays with what those numbers break down to. So last year, Mike uh, kind of famously was the least disgusted, uh, you know, Josh Jacobs drafter. I wouldn't, I don't want to, I don't want to say you were, you were pounding the table for him, but you made no. a, a case for him and it kind of stuck. And we've talked about this a few times, Mike, that range has always, you know, been the tricky one. Some drafters would avoid that dead zone entirely. We've started to see more hits out of it last year. Pollard also came out of that dead zone, did quite well. Who's your favorite running back right now? Who's going drafted, and we'll give it a, a wide range here. Let's go rounds three through eight. Yeah, I think for, you look. just like first of all, like macro, like the the costs on some of these dead zone running backs are changing, which was kind of the thing with Jacobs. You know, instead of going around five last year, you go round seven, eight, and then it's like okay, and Billy does projections work, and it's like you don't want to over rely on projected volume because like it can go away in a hurry at running back, but at no. a certain point if a guy's going to get touches, like he has upside and then all of a sudden Josh Jacobs just plays a little bit better than expected. So I was on the uh, ship chasing show last night with Pat Crane and Peter Overset. We were actually kind of talking about who's this year's Josh Jacobs and a few names came up, but Cam Akers and James Connor kind of, you know, stick out to me. I just don't see any way the Rams are bringing in any competition at running back. They just don't really have the resources to spend draft capital on that position. So there's no competition. He was pretty good at the end of last year, and we've seen McVay willing to give him a workhorse role. So I like that. I think Connor might be able to squeeze out one more of this kind of like might be like a lost year for Arizona, and he could just be a big volume bet. Like we're talking like round 10 for James Connor, right? Like, yeah. Um, and that's the same thing with Jacobs. Like, do I want it like a round six, James Connor? You know, absolutely not. Do I want like round nine or 10? Like, sure. Yeah, I'll, I'll take that volume bet. I'm starting to dive into David Montgomery in that fifth round. I think that the that there's a a chance that David Montgomery has his best overall season as a pro based on the quality of the Detroit offense. The guy landed very, very well. It's been a player who I've always kind of faded, and he had his his highest uh, yard, yards per catch last year. And I think he's going to be a little under under he's underrated as a receiver. We all saw what Jamal Williams was able to do in a thumper role. Do I think David Montgomery is going to get that many touchdowns? No, but I think David Montgomery can rush for eight to ten touchdowns with a decent amount of yards and also catch and also you know find a few receiving touchdowns. So I think David Montgomery is a really nice bet in that Detroit offense as long as he doesn't rise into that fourth round, and then I'm probably out. Billy, you guys took two of the three I had. Um, <laughs> the, there's two names I want to throw out here for 
for folks. One is, is going earlier than the two you mentioned. One is going much later. The first one is Damian Pierce, uh, who's been falling down draft boards, uh, surprisingly, even though they only got Singletary in there. And he was RB6 in opportunity share last year, 73.8%. Um, snap share, he saw 63.8% of snaps. So we're talking about a top 15 back inside opportunity, top 10 or top almost top five inside inside total opportunity share. Um, again, I think that this offense is not going to be great. So I do think that he may be hindered in the in the run game, but he ran hard last year. Um, I liked what he was able to do from a touch standpoint as a rookie. I expect him to kind of build upon that in 2023. And the other name that's kind of sneaky that no one's really talking about is Damian Harris. I love the landing spot in Buffalo. Love the opportunity he's going to get on a on a game script level, right? We're expecting them to have see a lot of positive game scripts that's going to benefit Damian Harris and in, in on in, in the rushing game. I do expect them to get Cook more involved this year, but I could see a significant role for Damian and red zone packages, goal line work, and one two downs. And I think that they've been missing that back. That's kind of that. Damian Harris brings that skill set and and people forget that Damian Harris also has pass catching ability as well. And so I think that um, he's kind of a sneaky, a sneaky play that's going real late in drafts. He's going to pick 117 right now. He's starting to climb up boards, but it hasn't happened faster than I thought. Speed round, fellas, because we got to get Mike out of here in about five minutes. Right now, Mike, who is the we've seen quarterbacks steam up. OK, so the, 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 high, the especially the big three, they're all going very highly. And the quarterbacks right behind him have all already gotten pulled up towards that range. Who is the very best quarterback value right now on the board? Yeah, one of my favorite values on the board is Daniel Jones. I think the Giants offense takes another step. I think they put more on his shoulders. They just had so much wide receiver inconsistency last year. I do like outside of the top three quarterbacks, I think Lamar Jackson yeah. still like I kind of buy by the dip on him while there's some uncertainty. Yeah, I was Lamar was mine. He's actually my quarterback four in in, in seasonal projections, and it's all based on the uncertainty. If if we knew he was playing today, he's going in the top five like clockwork in in the underdog best ball drafts right now in Superflex. He's going at the tail end of round one, which to me yeah, is just crazy. crazy. I'm going to take that value all day. Yeah, I think Lamar is a great great call by you, Billy. I like your Daniel Jones call, and I'll also throw out Deshaun Watson, who I think. Uh, is going to get pushed down to a range where he could really beat things. I don't think quarterback one is in the range of outcomes, but I do think that there's a chance he could give us a top five season. Uh, let's that kind of segues to my next question. We oftentimes should take a step back and instead of trying to do what we're doing here with the players, try to pick an offense that can really beat expectations. Mike, give me an offense that you think right now is very underrated that could push a number of players to beat their ADPs. Yeah, I like the Jaguars offense. Um, looking at the ADPs on Christian, both Christian Kirk and Calvin Ridley, we have them as values. Uh, Billy, when we were talking about tight ends, was kind of talking about Evan Ingram, like kind of waiting, rather waiting on him. And, you know, Trevor Lawrence could just be really, really good. We kind of already saw the second half of last year. They caught fire a little bit. They could put a lot on his plate. So I'll go with the Jaguars. I think to a much lesser extent, like a more boring version would be the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That's more just based on ADP cost. But in some of the super flex stuff, you've been able to stack Baker with like Godwin and Evans at like super, super affordable price tags. I know the FFP super flex tournament starting at the end of the month. And that's one I'll be looking at to kind of tack on late. 
there's a reason you can stack Baker quite easily, though, Mike. <laughs> Bill, Billy, Billy, give me an offense that's going to beat it. Uh, Chargers this year, man. I'm all in on the Chargers and the offense. Love the Kellen Moore addition. I think yeah, what he brings to the table. Um, Lombardi finally out. You know, it, it, I think that this going to open up this offense. They're going to get more creative. Lombardi continue to force things that didn't work. Where I think Kellen Moore gets creative, and we saw what he was able to do in Dallas, consistently being in the top five in multiple categories and total offense and total scoring. So I think that uh, even if you know 80 percent of that follows over, which I expect more of it will, but even if we did see a regression in those categories, this Chargers offense is still going to be fired because the expected pass play is one of the best in the league. I'll stay with Cleveland. I think that Cleveland's going to play faster. I think Cleveland is going to pass the ball more. And I think that offense takes a big step forward. And then Justin Fields has been steamed up. But I think the Chicago offense could could beat expectations this year and score a lot more. But certainly going to score more than they did last year. But I think they could score a lot, lot more. They have a tr- tremendous amount of speed at the wide receiver position. They're going to be efficient running the ball. It's year two for Mike Eberflus. Uh, uh, Mike, you've been very generous with your time here. Before we get you out of here, give us one player who you think is the best ADP value on the board. You can take it to redraft. You can take it to best ball. Give us one player that you think is an absolute steal right now. Yeah, I mean, I'll stick with the Jaguars stuff. I think Christian Kirk is, you know, an absolute steal right now. I think people are undervaluing, again, what the Jaguars could do just overall as a team in terms of pass rate and scoring efficiency. And then I also think like the Ridley addition is distracting people from how solid Kirk was last year. And I think sometimes people have these solid seasons and it's like, oh, he had a really good season, but he wasn't amazing. And now it's just going to get tougher for him. And like, it, there's a less sexy narrative behind him, but basically he's just got to go out, kind of do what he did last year. And then a little bit more efficiency, a little bit more team success. And he could be, a, you know, a top 10, 15 wide receiver. He's going as wide receiver 27 on FFPC right now. Love that. He's getting pushed, you know, the, the fact that Ridley and him are even close to me just doesn't make sense. I, I think that Kirk is tremendous value. Uh, Billy, what do you have coming up this week um, in terms of the Dominator? Dominator, I got James Brunicombe, a.k.a. Eagles, uh, coming on. We're actually going to record today. It's going to go live tomorrow. Uh, be talking about best ball values and uh, strategies, roster construction, and how to build uh, winning squads for best ball. And Billy and I will be back next week with Jared Smola of Draft Sharks, another very sharp guest coming on First Class Fantasy. I mean, we're bringing it guest-wise, guys. Stick with us all offseason. Mike, let every, everybody know where they can find you once again. Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Two Hats One Mike. You can listen to my podcast, Establish the Edge, on iTunes, wherever you find your podcast. And then also, I've all my work's up on Establish to Run, contributing to the rankings there for all formats, working on, again, a big best ball series for underdog best ball mania. So make sure to check that out. Awesome. Thanks for joining us, Mike. We'll see everybody here back next week. Be sure to subscribe and activate those alerts so you get notified as soon as new videos drop. And be sure to check out playerprofiler.com. We have all the tools for you to dominate every type of fantasy league. We have a draft kit, Dynasty Deluxe, Data Analysis, DFS Dominator, and don't forget the player rankings to rule them all.